We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They will return 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And take a peek at the website, andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there as well. Ask a, ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, Good morning, to see Scott. You. Good morning, Scott. A tax revolt. Has it started yet? Oh, boy. I think Is it, it brewing? It, it, I think it's brewing. I think <laughs> people actually hit that. We, we talked about this two years ago when the Liberal government came out with tax. It was kind of like a... You know, one after another, the the provincial government raised theirs, and then the federal government came out and raised theirs again. And we automatically went from a 46.41% tax bracket to a 53.53% tax bracket Mm -hmm. in a matter of a year. And it's like, wow, that's a 15% increase in your tax bill uh, at the highest tax rates. Right. Okay. And and again, the whole way they frame this, this is against the wealthy. Tax and the rich. Tax and the rich. And... The 1%. And I know last week we talked about inheritance. Mm-hmm. Well, you want to talk mm-hmm. about some vil- vigilant tax planning now, it's at the inheritance level. Yeah. They want to avoid that 53.5% tax bracket. Sure. Because what's happened now is all those RSPs that we've saved, you know, very disciplined over the years to create our pension, those are all taxed at death mm-hmm. as income. Yeah. So even though you've never made hundred grand in your life, as an example... All of a sudden, now you got, you're a millionaire. You're, you got a million dollars in your RSP, yeah. and it's tax, and you're paying fifty three and a half percent. Yeah, as if you were a CEO. Yeah, absolutely, and you are now rich. And if they really cared, in my opinion, if they really cared about the middle class, they would have a fa- say a forward averaging to the benef- the beneficiaries of that money. Mm-hmm. So take a look at who received that money, and then let's say we spread it over a few years, or they may have used it on the person who died go back a few years and average their taxes on that money mm-hmm. because they were never wealthy. Yeah. And so what's happening is the middle class, as far as an estate goes, for those very good savers, whether it's DeFasco, mm-hmm. a lot of the company plans are, you know, are using defined contribution plans. They're building a lot of assets now. And there's that fear, okay, I saved at 40%, but I might actually pay, or my estate will end up paying 53.5%. Can I ask a question? Yep. What um, is would the government be making more money on this by taxing that one percent, or are they going to make the majority of the money when the baby boomers die and the wealth is passed to the next generation? In my opinion, it is the latter of those two. So they're really not making that much money no. off the rich. What they're doing is making money off the middle class when they die. Right. Okay. And you see this massive. You know, think of it like a snake's body who just ate a big frog. Right. Okay. You yeah, see the, the see the bulge going yeah. through the body. And that would be like the baby boomers Mm -hmm. going through and Mm -hmm. eventually the leading edge is 67 now. And so they're starting to, you know, there's more and more deaths at that age. And there's all this money. And they look at how much wealth is held by those people, which is a a very large majority. of, And they're going to be paying potentially a lot of tax. So it's interesting. um, There's this one curve called a Laffer curve. And it was done by an economist back, I think it was Ronald Reagan years. And it was, his last name was Laffer, L-A-F-F-E-R. And, and basically, they showed that if you keep increasing taxes, there's a point of the optimal tax rate. Yeah. And there's a lot of different things that they look at. But at the end of the day, the government's job, why do you think they're increasing tax rates? Make get, money. Make more money. Yeah. Absolutely. Get more revenue. Yeah. That's what they want to do. They don't want to raise taxes and get less money. Mm-hmm. Okay, that wasn't the point. And already we've seen in two cases, both the federal and the provincial Ontario, that they're they're looking at the higher income earners 
and they're not getting as much money as they thought. Yeah. In fact, they're getting substantially billions less. Yeah. Like, in fact, I think it was the federal was about $2 billion less than they ex their expect expectations on that money. Yeah. Well, that's not pocket change. No. Because, and there was an article here right in the National Post um, back in uh, November, and it's basically just saying they're not getting the money they thought. And why? People are being, are, are seeing financial planners. Yeah. They are getting tax planning. Yeah. You know what? People will be lazy, call it, at 46%. Mm -hmm. But they become a lot less lazy, <laughs> okay, at 53%. How much do you think of that as a psychological more than half? Once Absolutely. It goes, once it gets more than half, then people start to get cranky. No question. Yeah. It's a, it, there, there's that psychological barriers, like a, a glass ceiling, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, are you kidding me? I'm going to make this money, and I'm getting less than they're, you know, yeah. they're getting. Yeah, the government's making more than They're making are. more. Yeah, yeah. I'm out working, and, uh, and I put in these extra hours, and they're getting more than me. So it's interesting. So you're looking back in, in 2009 till 2015, we've gone from 46.5 to 53.5. Now, in 2009, the highest tax bracket was Quebec at 48.22, mm -hmm. and the lowest was Alberta at 39%. Hmm. Ontario was fourth at 46, at 0.41. Now, Quebec did get up to 52 at one time, but what happened? Everybody started jumping the border. Yeah. They started moving to Ontario. Yeah. And so they end up getting less tax revenue, so then they drop their tax rate back down to under 50%, so they get more. Now, the highest tax t um, marginal tax bracket in Canada is at Nova Scotia at 54%. Yikes. The lowest is now BC at 47.7%. Um, Alberta, that oh, was. Oh, I, I, I do beg to differ on that. Okay. N Nunavut comes in at oh. 44. Oh, ah. there you go. Good but point. we won't count that. No. Yeah, there's not a big lot, <sighs> a lot, a lot of, of population there. You're going to spend that savings on heat. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> <laughs> Food costs twice as much. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but uh, back in 2009, every province had tax brackets. Mar the highest marginal tax bracket was under 50%. Mm -hmm. Now there's only four. Mm. There's only four mm -hmm. tax. And it's interesting. They're... At, at the $300,000 level, there is no U.S. state or jurisdiction that has a tax bracket higher than can any Canada's province. Hmm. So there is now, just like Quebec, where they jumped over to, say, Ontario to pay less tax, yeah. there's an incentive no, to go to the states. To go to the states. <coughs> Albeit, there is a bit of a Trump effect right now. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> that might keep people. There's actually probably more people crossing the border yeah. and saying, I'll pay the extra tax right yeah. now. But it is interesting how, you know, how, how um, disciplined people get at tax planning. Mm -hmm. And I know Andy and I have talked about this for years, and we are getting more calls now than ever on making sure, you know, how do we make sure that we don't pay so much tax at death? Yeah. And so cashing in RSPs, like right now you have till the end of the year to get that RSP um, income. You know, if you're at 60,000 right now, you've got say a million dollars in your RSP and your income 60,000, well, you might want to add $15,000 to your RSP if you're, mm -hmm. if you're a senior. So you don't pay... Take 15000 out. Yeah, yeah. Add, sorry. Take $15,000 out of your RSP or your RIF and add it to your income. Even mm -hmm. though you don't, you don't need it mm -hmm. because you're going to pay tax at 30%. Wow. Rather than the chance of leaving it till the day you die and pay tax at 53 and a half. Yeah. Okay. So it's very interesting just how you know, disciplined we are. And tax planning is is certainly on everybody's mind now because nobody wants to pay that much tax. Mm. Now, we did come across an interesting tax situation. What happens about wine? You know, somebody leaves a, a bottle of wine. 
In, in what, like a will? In yeah. State? Yeah. It's, it was. Wow. It was. It turned out to be a vintage. Mm. It was worth ten thousand dollars. Yikes! There's something I didn't come across too often. Crack it open. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's got to be good if it's worth ten thousand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What if all that you open it and it's not? Imagine, yeah, yeah. how disappointing no. that would be. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of went bad. Yeah, it's you know, like vinegar. It's one of those things you would never buy for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So that's if you true. inherit it, you got to try it. I don't yeah. know. That's yeah. my that's my answer. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you inherit it, it's interesting. But then if it's all the wine's gone, it's worthless. So there's no capital gains. As soon on as that. you right. as soon as you pop the co- the cork, I'm guessing it's yeah. done. Right? Done, yeah. done, and you get to enjoy it. There you go. Yeah. And and no capital gains, no tax. 10,000 <laughs> a bottle. What would that be per glass? <laughs> uh, good point. <laughs> That's a lot. 2,000 two per glass? Yes, and exactly. Who are you going oh, to invite? Oh, you have large glasses. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, what three others are you going to invite? That's right. Or at least one other you're going to invite to share that bottle. <laughs> bottle. Yeah. No, I'm just going to sit in a dark room and That's drink right. it myself. Hold the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's interesting. In Canada, um, for things such as... Uh, you know, wine and, and other, they're, they're called listed property. Mm-hmm. And they are, you know, if, and a lot of people don't have receipts for wine because they bought it and mm-hmm. turned out, you know, they, mm-hmm. they laid it down and uh, next thing you know, it was worth a lot. They didn't really, you know. Yeah. And lots, I guess, would have wine cellars that may have that true. sort of stuff in it. You, know? you don't think of that. You just yeah. don't know. Yeah. Until all of a sudden you get an appraisal and say, whoa, we yeah. don't want to open this one yet, honey. Yeah, exactly. $10,000. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. What happens is the, the bottle is assumed to be worth a, the cost was assumed to be worth a thousand dollars. Okay, so if it was worth ten thousand, again, assuming you could sell it at an auction, that's the other thing. You have to sell it. Yeah. Okay, so you know, I guess there's deemed disposition if you inherit it. So mm-hmm. then you get market value. So yeah, it's, it's but mm. again, you'd want to make sure you could mm. sell it. Yeah. Because um, I don't think I'd be sitting on that wine to pay a couple gain yeah. on something that went from a thousand dollars, deemed to be a thousand dollars, to ten thousand. So you got to pay tax on a ten a nine thousand dollar capital gain, which works out to a forty five hundred dollar um, taxable capital gain, mm. which works out to uh, you know it could be about twenty twenty three hundred dollars tax mm. potentially on that bottle. You got to really like that wine, yeah. If you're gonna keep you're gonna keep that, and also it might depreciate, as Andy mentioned. What if mm-hmm. it went bad? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, or you could just sell it and buy something, a whole pile of something cheaper with a handle on it, you know? <laughs> In a square <laughs> box. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I got one bottle, now I got a whole garage full. <laughs> yeah, probably my answer would be to sell that one <laughs> because it's only worth so much. So, the tax planning. See, I can see this is part of the this is part of the province of Ontario. Uh, in talk about tax revolt, but the slippage that happens in terms of estate taxes. Yes. Because that bottle probably never got reported yeah. in someone's estate. It was handed over to somebody in the family mm-hmm. and on it goes to the next generation. Yeah. And so the Ontario government is putting executors on the hook that if they discover that there was that something like that that happened, the executor right. is going to have to pay the tax on it, wow. not the beneficiaries. Yes, and, and they are clamping down on that. Better bring over another glass. Then. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that would go also with, uh, you know, vintage cars. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. all these other things that... Art? Gen- art, yes. Jewelry. De- jewelry. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of items that normally go down, mm-hmm. but there's the odd time they go up. When they go down, we don't get, to, we don't get a capital loss. No. Mm-hmm. Okay. So had you bought the wine for $5,000... And you found out that you know you tried to auction off and, you, and it was only worth a thousand. Hmm. You don't get a capital loss of four thousand. Yeah, it's only a one-edge sword right. mm-hmm. uh, from the taxman on these types of properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, called listed property, and they actually combine them all too. 
Um, so it's, it is important to sit down with your financial planner if, in fact, you have this situation. Um, <laughs> okay. Do you get a lot of that? No, this is not a norm. But. Well, you'd be surprised. I mean, you're yeah. filling out um, a personal financial review for an individual, their net worth statement. And of course, I always ask, are there any other assets? Do you have any antiques, mm-hmm. special collections that are valuable? And um, and I document them, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, stamp collections, um, jewelry, antiques, paintings. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd be shocked at what, the, uh, what people have accumulated over the years. And there are some unique pieces. Yeah. Some things we know are just, you mm-hmm. know, your furnishings, unfortunately, uh, have real no value and no, no increase, but but definitely there are some unique pieces that people own. So moral of the story, either sell it or drink it. Or, <laughs> or get it gifted bef- way before the person died. Oh, that's a good idea. Because as a gift, yeah. um, you, you might be able to avoid some of that. Mm-hmm. But if somebody went to hand you a $10,000 bottle of wine... Why don't you give that to sister? I'll take the cash. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Best thing? Yeah. Uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now, 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They'll return your call. We're coming back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message, 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Year-end tax planning. Yes, it is time. We're still, um, What happened in 2007? (laughs) Yeah, really. November's gone. We're here. Christmas is around the corner. And- Tax planning is something that we know we need to be vigilant about all the time. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about it. But December 31st is the last day that you can do any kind of planning around your taxes. Mm -hmm. And... um, and of course, in, as individuals, we are taxed on our cal- on a calendar year basis, and that's why December 31st becomes such a priority. So we're often inundated a little bit in December with some tax planning issues and mm-hmm. questions that we get from clients. And um, an example was last week meeting with a client who had retired this year uh, at the beginning of the year. And uh, we totaled up their income from all sources, and it looked like it was going to come in. A 60-year-old hadn't started their Canada pension plan yet, Mm -hmm. and uh, it looked like their total income was going to be about twenty-five grand. Okay, well, when we look at the Ontario tax rates, you can earn up to forty-five thousand and still be in the lowest tax bracket, Mm -hmm. twenty percent. So. We are going to take out an extra $20,000. Well, she is going to take out an extra $20,000 from her RSPs this year, and that will only be taxed at a rate of 20%. Now, here's the problem, though. When you take out $20,000 from your RSP as a lump sum, the tax withholding required by CRA is 30%. So she was going to have to pay six grand now, mm. end up with fourteen. dollars and then recoup some of that when she files her tax return in April. Right. But you know what? We did a little twist on it. We said, you know what? We'll do it in two $10,000 withdrawals. And the amount, if it's 15000 or less, is only 20% withholding tax. So I, I hate overpaying taxes, as yeah. you know. I don't like refunds. Mm-hmm. You're better to pay a little bit at the end. So uh, we're strategically doing it. $10,000 we did this, uh, this past week. We'll do another 10000 next week. Both will get a 20% withholding rate. She'll end up only paying four grand and end up with sixteen grand in her pocket. Mm. So, 
Year-end tax planning around those tax brackets is key, understanding how much your income will be for the year, and then looking at RSPs to see, is this an opportunity to take money out and pay the lowest rate possible? Uh, Capital gains and losses. So the end of the year is also an opportunity to review investments and and consider selling those investments that have a capital loss, particularly if you have capital gains already. So if you did earn some capital gains and some of your mutual funds may have issued capital gains to you, and typically this time of year is when those type those additional uh, payments are announced or dividends, a capital gain dividend. So if you have an investment that has a loss, uh, consider selling that before year end. And uh, capital losses or net capital losses can be carried back three years so you can go back three years to refile mm-hmm. and pick up gains that you paid tax on in previous years. Mm-hmm. So that's a little Christmas bonus for you. <laughs> or you can carry them forward indefinitely into the future, but they can only be used to offset capital gains. Right. Okay, So uh, a little bit of tax work to do there in terms of understanding where your investment's at and what their opportunities are. You have to be careful, careful of superficial losses when you sell your investment to get your to take your loss or book in your loss. And so let's say you make your sale of your investment today and you take a loss on it. You cannot have purchased that investment 30 days prior right. or 30 days after, or that's considered a superficial loss. And that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. So you might say, well, I want to book my loss, <clears throat> but I'm just going to turn around and buy the investment again. So in case it goes back up, I'm all set. I'm yeah. still in. But you have to wait 30 days and CRA figures that's enough time that if markets are going to change or, or adjust that you're, you're not going to have a, uh, you, you will not have created a superficial loss. Right. Basically, they would deny you the loss if you did it, repurchased it within that 30-day window. Right. But you can buy a similar kind of investment. That's a good point. Okay. So if you've so you sold it a, a bit. Yeah, just tweak it a bit. <laughs> so, you know, you, buy, you sell, say, a Canadian equity fund. And it had a loss, you know, perhaps you were in a, say the natural resource fund and you say, now I'm going to get that loss. I'm going to buy a different natural resource fund. And that will basically, you got your loss and you don't have to wait the 30 days because something, something that risky, you may just, you just may miss the one month that actually grew yeah. <laughs> and you don't want to have it sitting on the sidelines. So if you, if you are say, I really want to have this type of fund, just move it into a different Name. Great right. idea. Yeah. Same, same investment. Good so. advice. Um, register retirement savings plans. Most of us think about February as our RRSP deadline, but there are two scenarios where it makes sense to think about the December 31st deadline for your RRSP contribution. Mm-hmm. Scenario number one is spousal RRSP contributions. If you have regularly been putting money into a spousal RRSP as part of your planning process, consider making that before the end of the year. And the reason being is that you, if you contribute to a spousal RRSP, your spouse cannot take that money out without it being taxed back to you as the contributor for, uh, and basically there's called a a three-year waiting rule. But you can squeeze down that three-year waiting rule to basically 24 months and two days. (laughs) So if you made a contribution to your spousal RRSP December 31st, and then in 2018, no contribution, 2019, no contribution. January 1st, 2020, you can take it out and it's taxed in your spouse's hands right. and not in your hands. So the rule is when you take the year you take it out, you could not have made any contributions in the, the current year, 2020, or the previous two years. Right. So December 31st for spousal RSPs, you're turning, if you're turning 71, 
met with a client last week. We were converting their RIFs or RSPs to a RIF, and we had a discussion. Should I put money into an RSP before the final opportunity to do it? And did you have any room? We decided not to, but if you are turning 71, this is the last year that you can contribute or look at your unused room and maybe put that in. So December December 31st for your RSP contributions, for sure, worth considering. And if you're over the age 71, you can still contribute to an RSP, but it would be to a younger spouse. So a spousal RSP that's under age 71. Okay. Um, tax planning tips around home buyers plan. And I've got, you know, some clients or parents, uh, or sorry, their children are looking at buying a home and using their RRSP to do that. And you want to put off your, your, uh, home buyers plan withdrawal till after the new year. So into the next year, because what that does is it gives you a whole nother year of breathing room in terms of your repayment schedule. Before you start paying back. Exactly. So don't don't lock into your home buyer's plan now. Wait until January first for the home buyer's plan. Um, Registered education savings plans. Uh, RESPs do not run like. RRSPs with this March 1st deadline or February 28th deadline. And and you need to maximize that based on the calendar year. So December 31st is the deadline for getting money into the RESPs. And particularly if someone has turned 15. So if you have a child or a grandchild that's turned 15, you got to be on top of it for this. Absolutely. And RESPs, you know, it's interesting. We do get a lot of checks just getting mailed and grandparents are sending them for mm-hmm. their kids. That December 31st is key. But we have come across, you know, that age 15 is key because that's if you have never done one for your child before, that's the last year you can do it. You can't do you can't wait till they're 16 to start an RESP. Right. You will not get you can, but you won't get any of the government grant money. Right. So even if you don't have the funds, so let's say your child is 15, you don't have the funds available, I would suggest you borrow, mm-hmm. okay? Because if you borrowed $5,000, use your line of credit, mm-hmm. and 5000 is the maximum you can put into an RESP, you would get $1,000 grant money. Mm-hmm. And then the next year when they're 16, borrow another 5000 Yeah. And, and, and the third year, borrow it again. So over the three years, you've borrowed $15,000. Now that 15000 would have would be worth eighteen thousand simply on the growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, just simply on the grant. Right now, on top of that, even if you just got two percent, you're going to get another six hundred dollars of interest. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to end up with three thousand of grant, um, um, six hundred of interest. So you it would you'll end up with thirty six hundred dollars. Now the cost of borrowing would have worked out to, I. Uh, What's that? Two hundred times six. So it worked out to twelve hundred dollars. So basically, it costs you twelve hundred dollars at four percent to borrow, mm-hmm. but you end up with thirty six hundred. Yeah. Okay. So you've tripled your money, and as soon as the child goes to school in the third year, you can cash in all the money, use it for the education, get get the principal back, pay off the loan, but it's a guaranteed way, yeah. totally guaranteed, to knock off some of that money, in this case, $2,400 guaranteed that you can use for education purposes, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. And you, you definitely want to do this if you can. And just um, on that note too, in order to lock in the opportunity to get government grant money in their 15th year 
16 and 17, you have to do at least two grand. Mm-hmm. So that's the minimum. Yeah. So if they've never had a plan before, you have to do at least two grand before December 31st, right. get the plan started. Mm-hmm. And if you have to borrow it, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, five grand is the best. That yeah. makes most sense. Uh, the second way is that if you did have an RESP for your, your, your child or grandchild, and as long as they had contributed at least, or you had contributed at least $100, in any four previous calendar years, so when they were 14 or younger, 100 bucks over four years, so 400 total, then you also qualify to continue to get grants in their 16th and 17th year. Mm-hmm. So really what the government is, for, is kind of forcing your hand to say, you know what, we want to educate our children, yeah. we're creating an opportunity, but if you've deferred and delayed and procrastinated about this, we're going to force you to do it yeah. at age 15, you yeah. better get on it because this is your last chance. And you're going to know whether your child at this point is motivated to go on to post-secondary mm-hmm. school, I would hope, mm-hmm. so you'll know what, if it makes sense to carry on. And I got to say, it is so frustrating when we happen to get introduced to somebody and their their child is 16. <laughs> and they haven't done an RESP. And they haven't done an RESP. I think, yeah. oh, I hear the government's trying to give you money. Yeah. And all you have to do is, you know, partake in this plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, tax-free savings accounts. So with tax-free savings accounts, um, what you want to think about in terms of year-end is withdrawals. So if you are planning to use your TFSA and making a withdrawal from it, then you should do it before the end of the year because that withdrawal creates, uh, you don't lose your room, so it it gets carried forward into next year and now you have the room to put that money back in in the following calendar year. If you wait until January, you're going to have to wait a whole nother year before you could even con- contemplate replacing that money. Right. So I've had situations where a client says, oh, uh, I had somebody call me up and said, I'm, I'm going to loan my uh, daughter 10 grand and uh, we're going to, and she's going to pay me back within the next six months. And so uh, I said, well, if we do it from the TFSA, we need to do it right now because as of January 1st, then you can start putting the money right back in without worrying about over-contributing. Right. Okay. Uh, what else do we need to think about? Oh, transfers. Um, yeah. At this time of year, you definitely want to do direct transfers because um, people often, a lot of times people will collapse a plan and then try and put the money back into another plan mm-hmm. uh, within the same calendar year, and you can't do that. Right. You're going to end up in a penalty scenario right. if, you, if you've been close <clears throat> to maximizing. Now you can transfer from one institution that's to right. another. Yeah. Okay, and that's via a transfer form. But if you actually say, well, you know, I want to move it over to that other institution, I'm just going to cash it in and physically go over and write a yeah. check and open a new one up, then literally what you've done, you've withdrawn the money, yeah. and you can't put it back in the same calendar year. Right. Uh, charitable donations. We're going to talk about that because it's a great time to give. And uh, so on the first 200 bucks that you give to charity, you get a 15% federal tax credit and the provincial tax credit is at the lowest rate. And that, um, and so your, your first 200 bucks, you get a little bit of tax savings, but it's the amount over 200 where the real savings kick in. And so on, on your amount over 200, you save at the highest rate in your province and you save at a 29% tax rate in the, as a, at a, fe- a federal level. Mm-hmm. 
But there's also the super tax credit, the super charitable tax credit, which is if you make over two, if you have more than two hundred thousand of taxable income, the federal government boosts up their credit from twenty nine percent to thirty three percent. So if you're an individual making over two hundred thousand of taxable income, absolutely consider your uh, your charitable donations because they will go a long way to reducing your taxes. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a, a double dip. And on, on top of charitable donations, if you are looking at it and you've got a you know a stock portfolio, a mutual fund portfolio, and, and you wanted to make a you know a sizable donation, the way to do it is do it in kind. Move the actual security to to the charity. Mm-hmm. So I had uh, somebody uh, not long ago say, you know what, I want to move some of my money directly to McMaster. I want to write a check. It's going to be a sizable amount. Mm-hmm. Let's just call it 5000 for example. And I want to, and I'm going to just cash it in, put it in my bank account, and I'll write a check. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of gains in the investments. Yeah. So these, these things, the investment had doubled. It yeah. went from, say, 2500 to 5000 mm-hmm. So by doing it, by transferring the funds directly to the charity, the charity still gets the $5,000, mm-hmm. but they get the security themselves. Then they cash it out. And they always cash it out. Okay, yeah. they never hold it. So they would cash out it, get the uh, get the five thousand dollars. Well, the difference is, you end up with the exact same amount going to the charity. Um, you end up five thousand out of your account. Everything looks the same, except when you donate the security, you you do not have to pay a capital gain. Mm. Okay, you do not pay on that twenty five hundred dollar capital gain. Right. So that you know, out of that twenty five hundred dollar capital gain, twelve fifty would have been taxable, and therefore. You know, if you're in the highest tax bracket, that's about six hundred twenty-five dollars in tax. You would have been, you would have paid by moving the money into your bank account first, cashing it, and then writing a check to the charity. Yeah. By doing a direct transfer, six hundred twenty-five dollars back in your pocket, in which you may as well, you know, take advantage of that. Mm. <laughs> um, I want to stick with the charitable thing for a minute too, because uh, this is the last year in which a first-time donor ah, right. can get the super credit, mm-hmm. and a super credit is basically so if you haven't. If you haven't contributed to or donated uh, since 2007, so 10 years ago, you haven't made a charitable donation for 10 years, you can make a one-time $1,000 donation this year, and you have to do it by December 31st, and that $1,000 will basically result in about 700 bucks of tax refund to you. Mm. So for 300 bucks out of your pocket, you're going to put 1000 bucks into the charity of your choice's hands. Perfect. Okay. Yeah, that's a great deal. Yeah, for sure. We, oh, going to take a quick. Uh, keep going. No, we're done. I've, I've got lots more, but right. we'll, we'll let take we'll let you go we'll to commercial. Okay. All right, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They will return your call. 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Check out the website, andyanddon.com. That's all one word, andyanddon.com. You can uh, listen to old shows there as well. Ask a question via the listener inquiry button. And you can also ask a question by calling and leaving a message at 905-529-7165. They will return your call. Talking about tax planning this week. Yes, and you know what? I know it's a long list. We could keep going on and on. There's so many different things. We're trying to hit some of the highlights, and hopefully the listeners are saying, okay, that one applies to me, mm-hmm. and i got to talk to my financial planner about that one. So maybe we should be looking at uh, you know getting the RESP done or get our TFSAs or, or whatever you know charitable a lot of donations yep. charitable donations and and hopefully some of these have hit home and and, and people get to use these. Um, one ex- one one last one here that I've got is 
is if your investments have dropped, okay, and you're thinking, okay, I want to do some estate planning, and you realize that, well, if I leave it to my ch- children down the road, you know, whatever growth there'd be, it's a deemed disposition. They have to they have to pay tax on it. The estate has to pay tax on the growth. Well, had they gone down in value, or even didn't, even if they haven't grown yet, what a great time to gift the money to a child. Mm. Okay, so what you've done there by gifting the money, there would be no capital gain. In fact, uh, you, they don't, it's funny, they don't often recognize capital losses, but they always recognize capital gains. But that way it continues to grow in uh, somebody far younger than you, and you won't have you know, your less burden for your kids in terms of uh, an estate tax down the road. So again, going back to we are trying our best to keep you out of that 53.5% tax bracket and to start to transfer wealth ahead of time might be part of the answer. All right, here's a test for you, Scott. Uh, the children's fitness mm-hmm. tax credit and the children's art and tax credit, are they available for 2017? Um, no, I don't believe they are. You are right. Yes. Yeah. They were eliminated yes. for 2017. Yes, and, we're a little uh, cranky about that. <laughs> <laughs> Your kids Your were kids just coming into in it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, just a just a reminder to everybody, there are no fitness tax credits or children's art tax credits. Which means you don't have to go looking for those receipts anymore. Though. That's mm. true. So that's the good side. <laughs> but it was well worth doing. Yeah. Um, year-end tax planning for business owners and business—I mean, this is a this is a whole other show. But we'll uh, we'll talk quickly about some of the highlights. But basically, today in Ontario, businesses are either operated as a partnership, a sole proprietorship, a trust, or as a corporation. Um, if you're incorporated, your business can have any 12-month year-end. So it, it may not be applicable. December, you might have made your your year-end September 30th. Mm-hmm. So, um, but if you're in a proprietorship. Uh, or a, p- a partnership, then it's going to be um, calendar year end, mm-hmm. right? So that's the key. Now, p- p- paying salaries to uh, family members is often part of that planning in in, in being in, in being your own business, and um, and I mean the benefits are that um, it's a great income splitting technique, mm-hmm. right? So you're shifting income into yeah. a lower income person. Uh, it's taxed in their hands at a lower marginal tax rate. It must be reasonable. And the the general rule of thumb is that the salary should be comparable to what you would be paid, what you would have paid to a non-related party for performing the same amount of work. Um, the, the nice thing about salary is that it's earned income for RRSP purposes, so you're creating RRSP room. And uh, I had a client, a business owner, ask me about this, who who had paid salary to his children over the years. Uh, They start creating that RRSP room uh, early on, and then he said, maybe I should put five grand into their RRSP. They've got that much room now, and they're in their early 20s, like 21. And I said, well, the problem is they're not making enough income. They're not in a high enough tax bracket yet. So you have two options. We can option one is put it in a TFSA, uh, and then we could roll it over to an RSP because they're not going to lose that room. Mm-hmm. Or other scenario is you could put it into the RRSP, make it a little less, little further out of reach kind of thing. Sticky. But don't, <laughs> exactly, but don't touch it, right? Yeah. Don't, sorry, don't deduct it this year. Wait until they have a higher income. So it's going to show up on their on their notice of assessment as a banked contribution that has not yet been deducted, right. like a carry forward. Um, the uh, when you pay a when you pay a salary 
to a spouse or anyone over the age of 18, you begin to create Canada Pension Plan credits, right? And so the maximum pensionable earning for 2017 is Mm $55,300. So if you've paid salary of $55,300, you will have maxed out your Canada Pension Plan. And this is a common strategy for a lot of business owners, getting their income up to that $55,000 Canada Pension Plan maximum figure to be able to continue to contribute and earn those over the years. Um, The other good thing is that generally salaries paid to family members are not subject to employment insurance premiums, right? Mm. Because technically you can't really fire yourself and collect unemployment, and that would be true too of spouses or family members, those non-arm-like members. You can't fire spouses or family members? (laughs) (laughs) Not politically correct. (laughs) Um, So... You know, tax planning for business owners, I know Don talked about this a couple of uh, weeks ago, but tax-free gifts for employees, and it's $500 per year, but it must be a gift of an actual item. Mm. It can't be a gift card, and it can't be cash. It has to be an actual item worth 500 bucks, tax-free. So there's Christmas looked after for everybody. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yep. <laughs> All the family yep. members are Here. getting a, getting a tax-free getting a gift Army from the business. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, there's just some highlights of some year-end tax planning for business owners. And yes, you know, it's, it's interesting. We're, we're going through this industry, and apparently we're getting older here. No. Yeah. <laughs> Their advisors are getting older. And uh, it's interesting. The average age of an advisor now is, I hate to say it, is actually younger than us now, Andy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> 50. I knew that at the last year-end Christmas party because yeah, I was definitely the oldest guy. <laughs> right. <I'm talking> <laughs> and and so the average age is fifty point five years. And so what you need when you're looking for an advisor now is what's the succession plan? Mm. Okay, how are you going to? Because mm. you want to you want to make sure that you know if or when your your uh, you know advisor retires, you know you're still going on strong. You want to yeah. make sure you keep going. So after the break, we're going to go over that a bit. Now they tell me. Uh, We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And also check out the website, Andy and Don, all one word, andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. All right, uh, last segment. What have we got coming up? Yes, we are hitting this retirement oh, sweet, sweet spot. The, the retirement sweet spot. Absolutely. That's it. That's it. I got no. so excited I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. You know, first of all, we were just talking about the average age of advisors. Yeah. And they are 50 and a half years old, is the average age of an advisor right now. And they've been in the industry for 20 years. Wow. And So it's too late for a career change for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah you hit the... <laughs> Coming to 55 is coming up, isn't That's it? That's it. Yeah. Wow. No. Oh, Freedom 55? Yeah. No, it's already been here. Sorry. No, coming sorry, gone. sorry. Yeah, it's coming gone. Oh, okay. That's it. That's me that's hitting the 55 exactly. next. Sorry, See, not he you. just did that to rub that I in. know, I know, <laughs> I know. I'm that, the youngest so. of the three. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, uh, you know, they've been in the industry on average 20 years. And if you go back, the uh, there's only 9.6% of advisors that are under 35 years old right now. Hmm. Back in 2008, 10 years ago, it was 13%. Uh, 39% of advisors are between 35 and 50 years old now, and 52% of those back in 2008. So half the people in 2008 were between 35 and 50. 
Where's it gone? 43%, 40, I don't know, closer, 44% are between the ages of 51 and 65, hmm. where it was only 32% of advisors back in 2008. So the advisors are staying in the business. Yeah. They are going, and they're, but they're getting older. And it's kind of interesting, actually, 8.3% of advisors are over 65 now. Hmm. I'm not sure if they, hopefully they How wanted much would to that have been? Maybe they How didn't have a that? plan. <laughs> <They> <laughs> How didn't. much was that 10 years ago? <laughs> it was only 3% okay. 10 years ago. <clears throat> uh, they didn't so. have a plan. <laughs> 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 didn't take his own medicine. <laughs> yeah, they, those are the ones. That uh, hopefully they mm. want to keep working. But what it, what it means is you need, a, you need to be looking for an advisor with a succession plan too. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and you know what? Gone are the days of a standalone advisor. Yeah. It's not happening. Everything's mm-hmm. going to teams. Mm-hmm. I know Andy has a team. I have a team. You want to make sure, because nothing worse than when we're talking about clients and I've I've seen a lot in the last, actually, just this month. Oh, yeah, my lawyer, my will's with him, but I don't know the name because he's retired. Yeah. Right. And it, at least, though, it's gone to a firm. Yeah. Okay, so at least there is somewhere it goes. It's there somewhere. It's somewhere. Mm-hmm. But you know what? As much as you want to have a plan for your own retirement, you want to have to make sure that you, whoever you're working with, you know, you're going to feel comfortable with that being passed down to whichever that person may be leaving it mm-hmm. to. So it may be worth having an interview with both of them. Yeah. If you're uh, if you're dealing with an aged advisor. Mm-hmm. Okay. But ha- also hitting that retirement sweet spot, it's interesting. Forty nine percent, okay, are underachievers in terms of retirement right now. Mm-hmm. So if you are retired right now, forty nine percent will be underachieving. And what achi- what that sweet spot was is you could live on your your income will be between eighty five percent of your previous retirement income to 115%. Mm-hmm. That's called the retirement sweet spot according to this article. And half the people aren't gonna hit that. Mm-hmm. So they are gonna have to get a change of lifestyle. Right. Now, the good news is a third of the retirees are right in that sweet spot. Yeah. They are not gonna have to have much, uh, if anything, very little, if any change of lifestyle at all. Mm-hmm. But 18% are overachievers, meaning they are actually having more money than 115% of their pre-retirement income. Wow. They clearly need to spend more. Yeah. That's actually part of it. Change your lifestyle. And mm. we, I know Andy and I, we talk about that all the time. Why underlive? Mm. Okay. I, we, I, those are the good conversations, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Um, you can spend more money. Enjoy your life. You know, what are the dreams you wanted to do? Let's start doing them right now. Let's start checking them off the, you know, the so-called bucket list. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, those 18% will definitely need an estate plan. And they want to have an estate plan and they should be trying any possible means legally to avoid that 53.5% tax bracket. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of our conversations with clients are with that 18% of overachievers and creating a tax plan, um, a a tax plan will, if you will. (laughs) No pun intended there. (laughs) But a tax plan will um, or or tax planning before death and making sure that you can kind of have your cake and eat it too get a decent income, collect your old age security, and leave as little tax taxable income at death as possible. Yeah. Okay? So when you're creating that retirement paycheck, there's a lot of sources. Um, the old age security is one of them, and, and that's when we try to keep as much as we can. And not only now, and, and it's easy to split income as a couple and, and stick below that, um, that clawback zone, but it's very difficult to not have old age security um, clawback if once there's a death in one of them right because you're at least you're able to split <clears throat> the income there's if you're well off it's, it's it is tough to get it later can a pension plan again i talked to either i think it was last show actually about how 
we should be splitting the Canada pension plan, sharing it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are missing the boat on that, and they have to physically split that. The pensions. Um, you know, there's the pensions you get, to, say, from a union or a defined contribu- as a defined benefit plan, and making sure you're splitting that. There's some second marriages I've seen where they like the tax planner, so they're still doing their taxes separately, mm. and they're missing <laughs> splitting their pensions. Right. And it's costing them a fortune. I had that happen actually about a month ago. So make sure, you know, even though you may want to do it, put your pensions. If it's a second marriage, put your pensions together. Mm-hmm. Um, the RSPs, RIFs, or annuities, okay, creating that income that way, investment income. What's the best way to get investment income? Dividends, interest, capital gains, rent, okay. Return of capital, T-series. I know Andy and I have talked about on that in previous shows. Look at that rental income. And, of course, we also talked about inheritances. What you want to do is get a, a retirement paycheck and get all those together so that you can pay the least amount of taxes possible, the most efficient way of receiving this, so that you're not saying, where am I going to get it this month? Yeah. Okay? And on that note, this will give you a very happy holidays. There you go. <laughs> we have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Scott. Week. Thank you, Scott.